0: So we pick up in Galatians 3, 15 to 22, and this is quite a heavy passage, so just to give you a wee bit of pre-warning, it's a heavy passage, so we're going to take a deep breath, Uh, but before we do that, we're going to pray. So why don't we pray before we open God's Word. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and we just pray this morning that You reveal Yourself to us through it, Lord, and that You can help us relate to where we're at in life, where we need Your help, where we need Your guidance, where we need You to speak clearly. Will you just do that this morning? We give you permission, Lord. And like we sung earlier, we just need one word. If there's those of us here that just need one word, Lord, will you speak this morning? Because that's all we need from you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Cool. So, uh, we're going to do some Bibles. Stephen, why don't you do Bibles? I was, yes. We're going to mix it up. We're going to mix it up. If you don't have a Bible, uh, put your hand up and we'll get a Bible out to you. And uh, you can have it as a gift from us. If you don't have one at home, we'd love you to have a Bible at home. And it's also going to be up on the screen in another 1990 Windows 95 font. Oh, it's not too bad. Not too bad. It's maybe a bit small, but we'll, we'll crack on. Okay, so let's read. I'll give you a wee second. And these Bibles, it's in page 1170. So you can get to that quick enough. So let's take a deep breath and read. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scriptures does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe and breathe. Amen. So, you can see there's quite a lot of heavy stuff in in that passage, and it's maybe not the easiest to understand. So, I thought it'd be best to go back uh, through a few key things about the promise and the law. That's what we're going to look at. Uh, I'm not going to look at that again because it's frustrating me. The promise and the law. So, the promise to Abraham. So, in Genesis, we see Abraham, who was an old man, and the word of God came to him with the promise of a great nation to bless him, to bless them that bless him, and to give him land and descendants as numerous as the stars. And you can read about that in particular in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15. And then we have the law to Moses. So, 430 years later, Moses is a symbol of God's law. The law was given to Moses, and given given among other laws was the Ten Commandments. And you can read about that in Exodus 20 to Exodus 23. Uh, We could totally unpack all of that and look at all the the context of all that and the importance of all that, Uh, but it would take absolute ages. The promise to Abraham talked about God's plan, God's grace, God's blessing, God's promise. The law talked about man's duty, man's works. Man's responsibility, man's obedience. So, the promise given to Abraham only had to be believed. The law had to be obeyed. So, Paul, throughout, he focuses on the truth of salvation by faith. That's what he focuses on. That's what basically the whole of Galatians he's focusing on salvation by faith. That we are saved, all of us here are saved, by believing and trusting. That's it, it's that simple. Notice the promise is all God, 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 and the law is all man, 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 man. So he defends it, Paul defends it, firstly with the evidence of experience. So Chuck spoke about, I think it was last week, about you experience God, and there's loads of evidence in the scripture as well, which Paul pulls from it as well. So he's pulling from old. Testament verses that support this, because the Judaizers, Judaizers, I can't say that, have used the Old Testament to support the view of salvation by works. So, these people say, you need to do, you need to do stuff, you need to follow this, you need to tick that box, then we'll get God's approval, and it'll be all good. Doing stuff will help us in the eyes of God, but Paul turns it on its head. It's like a movie plot twist, and he says, the Old Testament actually teaches salvation by grace through faith. You guys are so wrong. You're missing out. And we see that with Abraham. We see that in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. In Genesis 15, verse 6, it says, Abraham believed God. He believed God and all that God had spoken to him about. And it was counted to him for righteousness. He didn't do anything. He just believed the first of all the family of all Israel, was justified by faith. That being that God removed all his sin, all the stuff he had done wrong, and declared him righteous, declared him pleasing before God. I am pleased with you. That is all that God asks. Just believe. Have faith. The Judaizers focus and speak about the law. They speak all the time about the law, once that came in with Moses. This was the focus. This is the most recent. It's the most important. We must obey. We must do, do, do to earn God's love, acceptance, and approval. And God just wants to say no, no. Paul goes on to state that the law is not the way. The original promise of salvation by faith cannot be changed and added to. We see that in verse 15 where it says, let me take an example, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. So, it can't be changed or added to. And then also in verse 17, the law 430 years later doesn't replace God's promise. So, Paul says, What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God. And then finally, the law was given to reveal sin. So Paul says, what good is the, uh, the Judaizers say, what good is the law? And Paul just says, it's used to reveal sin and to be met by the grace of God. So it's a vehicle to bring us to Jesus, not to replace the work of Jesus. So that's it in a very compact package. One central point that shines through in that is Paul's teaching, his adamant cry, that salvation, us being saved by God, is met by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus came to this earth, when he died a death for us, for our sins. So you're not saved by laws here this morning, you're not saved by doing things right, being at a certain standard, being a certain age, having a certain background, having a certain set of skills, Sound like the guy I'm taking there, a certain set of skills. I won't do the voice. Having a certain social standing, having a certain history. If you if you believe in Jesus, if you don't believe if if you believe in Jesus, you're not saved by what you do. You never did anything. If you don't believe, you don't need to do anything. You don't need to read the whole Bible. You don't need to know the best worship songs. You don't need to pray with those and knees. You just believe and accept. And we can pray that prayer with you this morning if you don't know Jesus and you're eager uh, to know Him as your Savior. So, we're all saved by this wonderful thing called grace. It's mentioned 170 times in the Bible. We don't deserve it. Chuck Swindoll says this, every time the thought of grace appears, there's the idea of it being undeserved. In no way is the recipient getting what he or she deserves. Favor is being extended simply because out of the goodness of the heart of the giver. In verse 18, the second part, it says, but God in His grace. That was one that those couple of words just really stood out to me in that passage. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. He doesn't need to, but He longs to. And we're going to briefly look at this radical thing called grace. So, firstly, grace is God's taking our place. In 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 21, the message version of this uh, says this, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong, so we could be put right with God. I'll just read that again. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong, so we could be put right with God. So, grace is God taking our place, stepping in front. I'll take that for you. I'll take the rap. I'll take that. I've got that. I'm carrying that. You don't want to be walking around with that. All that sin that's weighing you down, I took your place. I brought Jesus to take your place. I'll pay the debt. Not just for now, but for the future as well. Charles Spurgeon says this, and it's just an extract of what he thinks Jesus would say. They are poor sinner. Take my garment and put it on you. You shall stand before God as if you were Christ, and I will stand before God as if I had been the sinner. I will suffer in the sinner's stead, and you shall be rewarded for works that you did not do, but which I did for you. And that can be difficult for some of us. That can be difficult to accept. I remember in my youth, I used to think I was quite a good footballer, I, uh, if you compare me to modern day footballers, i would been known as the Peter Crouch, about six foot four or whatever, he's maybe a bit taller, uh, but that's what I seen myself when I was younger, that kind of tall target man, I was just a striker, I wanted to be up front, take all the glory, but the reality was I never scored, I, I had this one shot that nearly went in, which I, I still see the image of it, I see all the players around me, and I think if that went in, it might have been very different, but anyway, there was a penalty in one in particular game. And I wasn't a penalty taker and I thought, I need to take this, I need to take this penalty. And I smacked it against the bar. And I remember it, yet; yeah, the image haunts me. It haunts me whenever I play football. And that was the last time that I played as a striker. The very next game I got stuck in goals, simply because I was tall. You know, stick him in goals, he can cover more of the goals. Uh, but I struggled, someone taking my place. I remember being in goals thinking, oh man, he's up front taking all the goals. I wanted to be there. I can do better. I didn't like to see someone taken over. And uh, the thing is that control is one of the most important things in our lives with Jesus to relinquish. And it's scary when it comes to accepting Jesus and, and allowing God's grace into our lives. And I think that was one of the main issues for the people in Galatia that Paul was writing to, control the law. It brings control. The law we can control The law has traditions and regulations. We have a grip on that. We can dictate that. We know where we stand. I found this quote on grace. uh, It says this, grace is a humiliation for the ego. Salvation is a defeat for the ego because I want to feel I've done something to accomplish this. The only way the ego feels satisfied and competent is if we do that we have a call from God to get over the ego, to get past the self-sufficiency, the hanging on, I've got it together. If you know that that's you in terms of control this morning, we'd love to pray with you and just ask Jesus just to take over fully in His fullness. So, grace is God taking our place. It's also a free and undeserved gift. It's free and it's undeserved. It requires nothing in return it's not by works, remember. So you can get something for nothing. I'm always duped and drawn in by the latest offer to get stuff free. I downloaded one of these apps, the free uh, photos app, thinking I'll get loads of photos for free. And that's, that's what one of my friends said. So I went online, I picked all these photos. I was going to get an album. I edited all the photos. I got the right type, the filters and the finish and everything. Uh, I thought, wow, I'll add this to my photography collection, I might start a little business if it's all free and sell a little bit on, make a little bit of money. So I got to the very end, and then there was postage and packaging. Postage and packaging. And it was like 20-odd quid, and I'm like, that's crazy. It's a complete bugbear of mine. The small print, the surprises, the tricks. Uh, A couple of other examples is the free 30-day Amazon trick. So you you sign up to your Amazon Prime and you get 30 days free. Uh, What you don't know on the 30th day is they take £79 off your account before you get the chance to cancel it. Uh, That's what happened to me. But anyway, the thing with Prime as well is, I'll just go off on a complete tangent, is when you have Prime and they say one day delivery, they add on the delivery cost. They add on extra, actually, I think. Anyway. (laughs) Also, like the kind of thing where you get a free DVD player if you spend £100. It's not free. Or if you bought 10 coffees, you get a free coffee it's not free. I'm like, you had to buy 10 coffees first. One thing when it comes to God's grace is that it's totally, utterly, unbelievably, we can't understand it, free and undeserved. We don't get to a certain point in our journey and have the, God, come on, you're wanting me to, you told me it was free. We don't get that. It's the ultimate radical gift not earned or achieved. And the more that I've dwelled on that this week and chewed over that, it's absolutely incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, A couple of years ago, myself and Mary were looking for a a little weekend away. We wanted to wind down, and we found an offer in a place called Cameron House. Has anybody been to Cameron House? It's a Devere Hotel. Yes, one person has. (laughs) Can I I have. We wanted to recharge the batteries and we got a cracking deal at Cameron House and I remember we arrived and we parked at the front of the hotel and I've got to admit I I felt a little bit uneasy at this because I parked at the front of the hotel and I was in between like a BMW and a Mercedes and all these amazing amazing cars and I got into the hotel and the guy at the hotel says can I have your car keys and I'm like it's only a Skoda Fabia 2006. Why are you, what are you wanting with my car? Come on. <laughs> it's nothing special. But they drove our car to another car park. And I'm like, oh man, that's very nice. And then another guy took our bags. So we picked up all our bags. And it, it was incredibly, incredibly awkward. And I see uh, our picture as we're going through to the room of this concierge guy. Uh, taking about 10 bags, piled on, so all mostly Mary's stuff, may I add, mostly piled on every part of his arm, balancing, and every movement was considered. And his face was just, you know, every vein on his head was bulging. It just looked like he was going to collapse. And (laughs) that's Mary laughing. (laughs) I knew that he had done this before, and he took them to our rooms, and I'm thinking, oh man, he's going to stick his hand out and expect a little tip there. And, but he didn't, thank goodness. And I said to Mary when he left, we don't deserve that. It was really, I felt really, really awkward. And Mary just went, enjoy it, it's fine. And she phones for room service, I'm joking. <laughs> but it was absolutely undeserved. I didn't feel worthy of that. I seen the guy carrying the bags, he took it all. That, that picture is such a picture of Jesus. Such a picture of Jesus. We look at Jesus and what He's done for us, and we don't deserve it. And to be honest, thinking over that is slightly awkward. You're like, man, that's amazing. But also, when I really dwell on it, it stirs a response. I want other people to meet this Jesus. That should be a response. It should be like that with Jesus, that we get excited. What else does He bring us? what does He ask of us? Because His grace has transformed my life, our lives, and this free gift has transformed us. And He's worthy of our praise, and He's worthy of leading my life and our lives into new adventures, not out of guilt. We don't do it out of guilt, but we do it out of testimony. This is what he's changed, and this is why I'm living the life that I'm living. So, it's a free and undeserved gift. Grace also calls us to come as we are. Such an important thing to remember as we meet every Sunday, as we have weeks which are utterly rubbish and weeks which are utterly brilliant, that God treats us absolutely the same. He calls us to come as we are, that we remember the work of Jesus on the cross and the grace that God has given us. It's like when I go to the dentist when I go to the dentist, I like to brush my teeth the day before about 10 times. You know, get them super clean. Just need to, need to get it perfect. Or we tidy the house immaculately before the friend comes over of all the kids and then trashes the room again. We want to present something that isn't reality, that isn't what goes on 99% of the time in our lives. And on Sunday too, we're like that on Sunday. How are you? Fine how are you? Fine. Okay, cool. I feel a word for us is in terms of our site and in terms of how we do church is find one or two people when you are asked that question on a Sunday morning that you take a second and you give a very honest answer and we stir each other up to be honest and accountable before one another when we're having an utterly rubbish week that we don't come in and say, "Ah, fine. that we say, actually, my week was incredibly tough and can you pray for me? Have a think about that and ask God, who is that one or two people in terms of our sight that you could just say, do you mind when you ask me that question that you really ask me that question? Because putting on a mask, God says, no, I don't want that. Just come right now before me in your mess, the ups and downs, the joys and the heartaches. Don't panic about having everything together. Don't fret about not seeming perfect to others. And we only need to look at Jesus and His ministry, what He did when He was here on earth. We have the woman at the well in John. We don't have time to go into it, but in John chapter 4, you could read that in your own time. And also the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Jesus just says, come as you are in your mess. You don't need to get right before you come before me. I'm ready and waiting. They met Jesus in their weaknesses, in their struggles, in their realness. There's a a David Crowder song called Come As You Are, and I just want to read a couple of the lines, and I really feel they're just really strong uh, lines in terms of what God's speaking to us about. It says this, come out of sadness from wherever you've been, come brokenhearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, O sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal, so lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face, O wanderer, come home. You're not too far, so lay down your heart, lay down your heart, come as you are. How many of us this morning just need to kneel before God and say, "Here I am i 'm in a bit of a mess, but I want to meet you this morning in my realness, in my weakness, no pretence, no ego, just admitting I'm missing something in my life, and I need you to fill it, God, and then just finally uh, it's not always going to be easy. We must remember life as a Christian isn't always easy. Paul, in his writings and his testimony, that is that life following Jesus is not easy. In fact, becoming a Christian and following Jesus is one of the most challenging decisions you'll make in your life. So, not to put rose-tinted glasses on and say that everything's going to be perfect. You're going to sail through life. You're going to float a foot above the ground, and everything's going to be great. It's important to look at that, but it is the most amazing adventure you could ever ask for. It's life of a purpose, a heart filled with God's love, His grace, His transforming power on us. The power to see God at work, in our streets, in our family. It's real. It changes lives. It transforms marriages. It saves people from despair, but it isn't going to be easy. There'll be times when things happen and we'll cry. And we'll we'll say to God, why God? Why now? I don't understand. But one of the cornerstones of our relationship with God is that we have faith, that we have faith, that we put one foot in front of the other in those times and trust that God knows best. As Abraham did when he heard God speak, he just believed His word is truth. We look at scripture during the tough times. What does God say? He says, just have faith. Stay close to me. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. What a great little phrase that is in the tough times. And finally, just to, to close things, is that we regularly and make a habit of coming before God and hanging out with him, spending time with him, being deliberate with that, spending time in his presence and being willing to receive His grace regularly. D.L. Moody says, a man cannot take in a supply of grace for the future that he can eat enough today to last him for the next six months, nor can he inhale sufficient air into his lungs with one breath to sustain life for a week to come. We are permitted, we are allowed to draw upon God's store of grace from day to day as we need it. So, each day we ask for more of God's grace. We ask Him to come into our lives, to transform us, to speak to us, to take away the weeds, pull up the weeds, get rid of the weeds. We be real before one another, before God. So just to just to close, that we remember the the radical thing that is grace, the power that grace carries, what Jesus did for us. It's totally undeserved. We don't need to do anything in return. We just accept it. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. Why don't we stand?